we're about to see a clip, a short clip uh, from a film called Look and See. It's on the story of Wendell Berry. And uh, if you've seen this film, I've just seen it finally in, in full, and it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, but what, what we're about to hear, though, is following this clip, Holly's going to come up and share about authority and power. And uh, she's going to speak to this idea that Jesus had authority and power in his story and the story of God in the world and how he used uh, his authority and power and how he invites his followers to channel. And our lament today is that oftentimes we use our authority and power in our own stories either for the objective of Jesus or oftentimes, too often, um, away from the objective and mission of Jesus. And so we want to invite you to think about that lament and to really absorb this next clip. It's, it's quite powerful. So welcome to Warehouse, and in a moment, we'll welcome Holly Norton um, to open the text. Even while I dreamed, I prayed that what I saw was only fear and no foretelling. For I saw the last known landscape destroyed for the sake of the objective. The soil bulldozed, the rock blasted. Those who had wanted to go home would never get there now. I saw the forest reduced to stumps and gullies. I saw the poisoned river, the mountain cast into the valley. I came to the city that nobody recognized because it looked like every other city. Men and women and children now pursued the objective as if nobody ever had pursued it before. The once enslaved, the once oppressed were now free to sell themselves to the highest bidder and to enter the best paying prisons in pursuit of the objective which was the destruction of all enemies, which was the destruction of all obstacles, which was to clear the way to victory, which was to clear the way to self-creation from which nobody who ever wanted to go home would ever get there now. For every remembered place had been displaced, every love unloved, every vow unsworn, to make way for the passage of the crowd, of the individuated, the autonomous, the self-actuated, the homeless, with their many eyes opened only toward the objective, which they did not yet perceive in the far distance, having never known where they were going, having never known where they came from. Good morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. You know, lament is a prayer. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So, Father, we just confess to you that we misuse and abuse our authority and power, and we spend it on our own self-centered pursuits, our own objectives. And we hurt others with the misuse of our power, and we don't use our power when we ought to, and we've been wounded, 
Um, But we praise you, Jesus, that you have accomplished your objective, which was for us, which covers us, which has the power to heal, to redeem, to restore. It is the good news you embodied that you brought to us, and we are grateful that we belong to you. Be with us now. Good morning. So we've been reading through um, the book of Mark together, and this morning um, works beautifully with what we've heard this morning um, um, because I want to look at and examine the repeated word and idea of authority that we've encountered so far in the book of Mark. Um, I began noticing this when we, um, as, as I've been reading through and paying attention to it. And so I want to look at some of the passages we've already encountered thus far in Mark. Go ahead and you can open your Bibles um, if you have them with you to Mark chapter 1. And I want to look at some passages where we see this repeated word, and I want to think this morning about, yes, Jesus had authority. Like, if you told me that God came to earth, I would expect that he would have some power and authority. But what's really important is how does he use, how does he leverage his authority? What is his objective that he is pursuing um, with and using his authority for? And what does that tell us of the character and the nature of God? So we start with this first verse in Mark chapter 1, where it says that they were astounded at the teaching, for Jesus taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. So we see Jesus teaches with authority. And then um, in Mark chapter 2, a few weeks ago, um, Mike preached from Mark chapter 2 on the story of Jesus and the paralytic. And you'll remember that Jesus pronounced, son, your sins are forgiven. And then when the Pharisees are like, how can you do that? He says, so, so that... Um, So that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, stand up, take up your mat, and go home. And so Jesus, he demonstrates this authority to forgive, this authority to heal. We see numerous accounts of his healings. And then um, we also see in Mark chapter 1, what is this, a new teaching and with authority that even evil spirits obey him. And we also, in Mark chapter 5, there was an account of a man who had been possessed by demons and was living out among the tombs and was chained up. And we, um, if you were reading along with us in Mark chapter 5, we encountered this story of this like incredible way that Jesus comes and sets this man free. And so he has authority over evil spirits. And one, I'm going to take a brief pause there to say... That if we're going to recognize that Jesus has authority over evil spirits, we have to recognize that they exist. And as Westerners, um, you you know, we might even say, yes, I actually agree with that. But this is what I would ask you. When was the last time that in prayer you stood against powers of evil? I, you know, it is something for us to be challenged by in the scriptures and Ephesians that says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against many powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So this tells me two things. If you feel like your life is a struggle, then you're absolutely right. It is a struggle. But the narrative of your struggle that you tell yourself is probably not fully accurate if it doesn't include the reality of forces of darkness and evil. 
Um, I recently, if you've never listened to the Place We Find Ourselves podcast by Adam Young, I highly recommend it. And um, he did this, has done this series on warfare that I would encourage you to listen to. And he says this, ever since the Enlightenment, the Western world has devalued the supernatural. The Enlightenment proclaims that all evil in the world has natural causes, social and psychological, that everything has a scientific explanation. Christians in the post-Enlightenment West have maintained a belief in the supernatural good and God and angels, but we have largely dismissed supernatural evil. And he goes on to cite this professor, Andrew Delbanco, a professor of American studies at Columbia University, and he wrote this book, um, The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. It's important to note, Delbanco is not a Christian, um, but he, in his book, he makes this cultural observation that during the 20th century, the notion of evil gradually slipped out of the American consciousness, that everything has natural cause, that we have become indifferent to the reality of evil. This man that's not a believer is speaking about the reality of evil, but he argues that the West is starting to realize that we can't explain the world without including the supernatural and the unseen. So even this man who's not a believer understands that there is a reality to the powers of evil in our world. And it's not something that we should be afraid of, but we need to be awake to it. Um, in The Usual Suspects, Kevin Spacey's character, Verbal, says that the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. And so if we are truly engaged in a, in a struggle in this life, um, that is with powers and principalities and not with human beings, not with flesh and blood, then we need to wake up to this. So that's the end of my public service announcement about demonic power. Um, yeah, we need a little laughter. There was a lot of heaviness. I mean, I wish right now I could just switch over to my stand-up routine, but didn't work on that. Um, okay, so so... Authority is established, right? Jesus teaches with authority. He has authority to forgive, to heal, to set people free of demonic oppression, right? But what does that tell us about the character and the nature of God? Because if, if you are here today and you're not sure if you believe or trust in Jesus, me telling you that he has power is not going to mean a thing, right? It's what he does with that power. We don't, you can misuse power, but It's what he does. It's what it reveals about his character and his nature because that is what we trust in. That is what matters is the character and the nature of our God. And I'm excited to dig a little bit into that because it's good. He is good. So first we see Jesus' teaching with authority as he's dismantling moralistic religion. He is He is, Tim Keller says, Jesus declares not that he has come to reform religion, but that he has come to end religion and replace it with himself. This is why the teachers of the law did not like him. Their message was a heavy burden, but the message of Jesus is one of grace that lifts us up, that lightens our load. That is the message that he came to bring. Jesus uses his authority to heal, but what is his ultimate objective? It's not just physical healing. It is always, always deep 
soul restorative healing. We heard this morning about the restorative work that these people are doing. The nature of Jesus, the nature of God is a restorative work. With the paralytic, he wanted to not just heal him, but to forgive his sins. He wants to bring spiritual restoration. With um, with the demon-possessed man, he heals, he sets him free. And then, if you remember, that he says to him, he begs Jesus, can I go with you? Can I please stay with you? And Jesus tells him, no, go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done and the mercy you have known. He says, go and be restored to your friends. This man, I mean, like, imagine, put yourself in this story. This man has been chained up living among the tombs, and and he has friends. He has people in his life that Jesus says, go and be restored relationally. The woman who had been bleeding, and Jesus looks at her, and he sees her. He could have kept going because his power had already healed her, but he doesn't. He wants to stop and find her and look her in the eyes. He wants to see, and he wants to know. He wants to restore her dignity, And everywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd that is following him. And I think about um, people of power in our culture, Um, celebrities, politicians. I think about them and their relationship of a crowd, and they're always kind of distancing themselves. They're riding dark limos so we can't see them. They have security people around them, right? I mean, their, their goal is to keep the crowd at bay. But Jesus is always going into the crowd. He's always going into the crowd. At one point, he's trying to just get away and have some rest in chapter 6. And the crowd beats him to where he's headed. And and it says that he had compassion on the crowd. He said they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them. This is the nature of God. It's the nature of Jesus to come near us. To not just use his power to be for us but to use his power to be with us. He spent his life drawing near to people. The nature of God is love. The nature of God is grace. It is to elevate. It is to dignify. It is to heal. It is to redeem. It is to restore. Not just the people that Jesus encountered, but you and me. This is the nature. This is the good news that we call the gospel. This is his objective. This is what he's leveraging all his power and his authority to for is the rescue of us all. It is meant, this good news is meant to be lived and experienced. Jesus came embodying the good news and it's his desire that we would live it and experience it and it would integrate into every aspect of our life. It would change everything just like it did with every person that Jesus encountered. That is the author of, offer of Jesus. And we can be close to him, as we saw so often the religious leaders. But what I think is more important than just calling them the religious leaders, because then we think, well, I'm not a religious leader, so that's not me. But these people were, they were the proud, they were the smart, they were the important, powerful people who thought they could be good on their own. And their reaction was always the same. They were always offended because they thought they knew better than Jesus. And they were outraged because they were threatened by his power and his authority. Jesus goes into his hometown. It talks about in chapter 6. It says, 
What deeds of power are done by his hand? Is, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Judas and Simon? And are these not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And I think that we, especially as Americans in the South, we can be so familiar with Jesus that we can be dismissive of his authority. Um, so, so these are the people that are, that are closed to Jesus and closed to his message and closed to his good news and closed to his authority. And on the other hand, we see the people that are open to Jesus. And what do they have in common? They all recognized that he had authority. They all recognized that he had authority. They were eager to experience and encounter his authority. These people knew that they needed Jesus. And they weren't just open, but they were desperate. And as I was preparing this week and I typed that word, I was like, Ugh, I kind of cringe at the word desperate. I kind of don't want to be desperate. Um, and that's because desperation is like, is such a, the most humble posture I can think of. And that is the posture. If you want to be open to Jesus, it is either, we are either proud or we are humble. It really boils down to that. To receive this good news, you have to have the humility to know that you need Jesus. And I, for one, want to be needy. As I've studied this week, I've realized how much I avoid trying to be needy. I mean, I avoid being needy at all costs. I was raised in a family where self-reliance was a family ethic. It was like the way to be. But I want to be humble. I want to be humble. I know that I need Jesus, but I want to know that in increased measure. I want to grow and mature in my need for him and my dependency. But I'm inclined to turn to my own power and accomplishments. And so um, I have to remind myself, this is why we even gather. We gather to remember it is good and safe and right and good to be under the authority of Jesus. It actually is. It is good to be weak because he is strong. It is good to know that I am lost so that he can offer to guide me. Barbara Brown Taylor, she's one of my favorite authors, and she says this. She says, when you live in God, your day begins when you open your eyes, though you have done nothing yourself to open them, and you take your first breath, though there is no reason why this life-giving breeze should be given to you and not to some other. In the dark or in the light, with a stone slab under your back or a feather topper, your day begins when you let God hold you. Because you do not have the slightest idea how to hold yourself. When you let God raise you up. When you consent to rest. To show that you get the point. Since that is the last thing you would do if you were running the show yourself. When you live in God, your day begins when you lose yourself long enough for God to find you. And when God finds you, you lose yourself again in praise. I want to live like that, to stop running the show myself, to live each day being lost, being awake to how lost I am, that I need Jesus to come and to find me and be found in him. 
One, one final observation I want to make about the authority of Jesus and what it says about the character and the nature of Jesus is found in Mark chapter 6, which if you're reading along, we read this week. And Mark chapter 6 says this. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he ordered them not to take anything for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, not to wear sandals, not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter, stay until you leave. If a place doesn't welcome you or refuses to hear you leave, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed his message that all should repent. And they cast out demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and they healed them. So this is amazing to me. Because I don't even like my kids to do chores around our house sometimes because I think I'm going to have to go back behind them and redo it. I don't, um, they're probably not going to do it good enough. You know, if I'm doing something and it's got my name and reputation attached to it, I probably don't really want you to help me too, too much because um, I want to have control over it and... um, And lots of times I just think things are easier if I do them myself, right? But Jesus, okay, who's perfect, and he's like perfectly embodying the good news. He trusts this ragtag group of flawed people to go out and to go with his authority, with his power, with his message, and to share, and to join in, to co-labor. You don't have to be perfect, you don't have to have it all together. In fact, that's the actually only prerequisite is that you realize you don't. You don't. You have to receive the good news. You have to receive our, you know, you have to be needy and to receive the power and the good news of Jesus. And then you are invited to bear witness to him. Then you are invited to participate in his mission, to go out into the world, into your relationships, your friends, your neighbors, and to bear witness and to share, to join our objective into our, where his objective becomes our objective, where his mission becomes our mission, and we get to co-labor with him in the gospel. So I'm going to close us with prayer. Jesus, we have heard many things this morning that remind us of how broken the world is, how broken we are, how We all have power and authority and we misuse it and we don't use it and we um, and yet you and your perfect power and authority and your goodness you came in humility. Your goal and your mission was to serve. Mark 10 tells us that you came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. That is your mission. And we are so grateful to be the recipients of that. Make us more and more open, make us more open that the good news would saturate every corner of our heart and lives, that we would be open and submitted to your authority in every aspect and area of our life that we may join you in your mission may know you more fully the life that you came to offer us we are so very grateful for your good news